you'll join me in saying the Shema. The Shema is something that we say around here in every worship service. First century Israel, this is something that would have been read any time they opened up the Torah to read Scripture. They would have said this first. Jesus would have said this in the morning when he woke and in the evening before he went to sleep. So we are following in the footsteps of our rabbi as we declare this together. Join with me. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Ahat. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. You can have a seat. Listen to this portion of the story of God as it is written in the book of our freedom from the sixth chapter of Exodus. Say, therefore, to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will free you from the burdens of the Egyptians and deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my people And I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has freed you from the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses told this to the Israelites, but they would not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and their cruel slavery. Then the Lord spoke to Moses Go and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his land. But Moses spoke to the Lord. The Israelites have not listened to me. How how then shall Pharaoh listen to me? Poor speaker that I am. The story of God told for the people of God. Thanks be to God. When I was 22 years old, fresh out of college and engaged to be married, I needed a job. As I had graduated in May and I was getting married in August, I needed a job immediately. And I quickly let my anxiety about that situation get the better of me. How could I get married without a job? What kind of partner would I be if I couldn't contribute to our income? What would her parents think of me? What would my parents think of me? What would she think of me? Increasing my anxiety was the fact that Stacy, my bride-to-be, who had graduated on the same day as me, with the same degree as me, from the same school as me, was getting job offers every day in multiple cities. It quickly got to the point where she was literally waiting on me to get an offer, any offer, so that she could choose which job she wanted based on where my job was. I needed to land a job and fast before any of Stacy's offers began to evaporate. After what seemed like hundreds of phone calls, resume submissions, applications, and interviews, one offer finally surfaced. I didn't hesitate. I didn't pray about it. I didn't even think about it or ask any questions. I just took the job as fast as I could in an attempt to relieve the pressure I had placed on myself. I was going to be a sales rep in a technology company in Austin. Given that this was the mid-90s, it was definitely the right place at the right time. The technology bubble was on the rise. It was a good time to be in that business. And what had once seemed just like a job I took out of desperation turned into a great opportunity and seeming success. There was only one problem. I was suffocating. I could, I could do it in terms of what my company and clients expected of me. I was succeeding, but I was incredibly unhealthy. And that unhealth was infecting everything else in my life, 
including my marriage. Something inside of me was off. I wasn't doing what I was meant to do. I wasn't where I was supposed to be. In haste and anxiety, I had made what I thought was a responsible decision to take a job that would ensure our peace and our safety and our security. And to be honest, the rewards that came with the thriving industry only furthered the illusion and helped me ignore the reality that I was not okay. I was not free. I feel it necessary to insert a disclaimer here for any of my brothers and sisters who are in sales or in technology. It's not the industry and it wasn't the job. The job wasn't wrong. The company wasn't wrong. Technology's not wrong. I was wrong. About a year into that job, I was driving home alone from a regional sales meeting in Houston. And I began to have what seemed like a very clear conversation with God. I was letting God have it crying out, being very clear that I was not happy and that I did not want things to continue on the way they had been. I confessed that in spite of appearances, I wasn't thriving. I was struggling to survive. And not having been a big prayer person at the time, I'm not sure what I expected God to do in response or what I expected to hear back, but I was desperate. As I drove... What I felt like I heard back was agreement. God seemed to agree that I was not well and that I was not thriving and that I couldn't go on much longer the way I was living. Then, in what seemed like a drastic overcorrection to me, things took a weird turn. And right then and there, on that drive home for the first time in my life, for just a moment I thought I heard God telling me that I belonged in ministry. Now, you need to know this was not a joyous moment for me. If this was my burning bush, I responded by screaming like a terrified child, dumping a bucket of water on the bush, calling the fire department while emptying a fire extinguisher onto the bush just to make it shut up. Forget I brought it up, I told God. Clearly, I have confused you. You can't, you can't be serious. I have an unhealthy distrust of institutions, and I've never been comfortable with organized religion. I know I've been telling you I don't belong where I am now, but this is not the solution. I'll just go back to my job where the money is good and the recognition is nice. Never mind. I'm fine. I couldn't even imagine it. Staying in the marketplace job that was slowly crushing my soul seemed much more comfortable and desirable to me than going back to school to learn the ways of an organized religion so I could have a career with an institution I wasn't even sure that I trusted. I had no capacity to receive such an idea. So when I hear the part of the Exodus story that we're talking about this morning, I get it. Listen again to what God says here in Exodus 6. I am the Lord, and I will free you from the burdens of the Egyptians and deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. This is all good stuff. Who wouldn't want what God is offering here? The rabbis teach that this scripture is descriptive of God's character. They teach that just like Torah... 
this declaration from God has five parts. Let's take a look. Part one. I am the Lord. God starts this declaration off by repeating the divine name that was first uttered in Exodus 3 to Moses at the burning bush. In that scene, when God tells Moses to take a message to the Israelites, Moses asks, who shall I say has sent me? Moses asked God for his name. God's response is, Eheye asher Eheye. In our English Bibles, that gets translated as, I am that I am, which is correct. But as is often the case with biblical Hebrew, there is more depth in the words than one translation can provide. The divine name given at the burning bush can also be understood as, I have been that I have been, and I will be that I will be. To start this declaration off by repeating that name is like putting a holy signature on it that lets the hearers know that it comes from the God who is, the God who has always been, and the God who will always be. That God. Part two. I will free you from the burdens of the Egyptians and deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. God tells the Israelites, I will free you from, deliver you from, and redeem you. Those are powerful promises that God will do. Free, deliver, redeem. In fact, the Hebraic word used here for redeem is ga'al. Everybody say ga'al. It's a good, fun word. Ga'al does mean redeem, but it has the force of family behind it. It means redeem as a kinsman would redeem, an intimate family member, one who would redeem on behalf of the honor of a wounded or abused loved one. God won't redeem like a distant ruler would a citizen. This is not extradition. God redeems like a possessed parent hell-bent on making the abuse of their beloved child stop. This is what God tells the Israelites that God will do. Free them from the burdens of the Egyptians. Deliver them from slavery. And stretch out arms of embrace to reclaim wounded and abused children back into the family. These statements, these are freedom from statements. Which is important for us to note because there are really two kinds of freedom at work in this story. Freedom from and freedom for. People can be freed from something, and people can be freed for something. Rabbi Joel Nickerson says, for a lot of us, the only way that we can conceive of freedom is by escaping something bad. And that's legitimate. Escaping something bad is almost always part of the journey. We do need to be freed from things. So God's first promise within this divine declaration is all about what the Israelites will be freed from. But then there's a shift as we move into part three of this declaration in Exodus 6. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from the burdens of the Egyptians. This is freedom for. Why will God provide freedom from the Egyptians in slavery? So that the Israelites can be in relationship with God. God will free, deliver, and redeem the Israelites from their slavery so they can choose to use their freedom to know God and to be God's people. No tyrannical pharaohs here bossing slaves around. 
God promises to free the Israelites from the ruler who uses and abuses them as property so that they will have the capacity to choose a loving family relationship with the ruler of all things. But the freedom for doesn't end here. As we continue into part four of the divine declaration, God continues to outline what the Israelites' freedom will be for. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. This is a promise for the Israelites' future that is rooted in a calling from their past. This is not just God promising to make good on a previous covenant. This is God inviting the Israelites to remember the calling of the covenant of their ancestors and use their freedom for to live into it. You may remember that in Genesis 15, God promised to bring Abraham into a new land. But that calling, the the calling that accompanied that covenant was for Abraham's tribe to become a new kind of tribe. To become a people that would be as numerous as the stars. To become a family that would bless all the other families of the earth. To become a tribe like no other kind of tribe. The Israelites are not just being freed from slavery so that they can be in a relationship with God, but also so that they can use their freedom for to become what they were meant to be. They were not meant to be slaves. They were meant to answer the calling gave Abraham, that God gave Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And just in case anyone needed a reminder about who was making this declaration, part five, I am the Lord. I am that God, the God who has been, the God of Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob, Rachel and Leah, the God who is here and now presently with you in your suffering, promising you freedom from and the God who will be the God who will lead you into the promised land, who will call you and shape you as you use your freedom for. Now, for just six sentences, this divine declaration sure packs a punch, in my opinion. The Israelites have been crying out to the Lord for years. This is everything that they could have ever wanted in response. The God, the I am God, has heard their cries. They're going to be delivered from their slavery, redeemed into God's family, and ushered into the inheritance and calling of their tribe. They get to live as the free God's free children. The hallelujahs should ring out and fill the air. There should be singing and dancing in the street. But that doesn't happen. No one declares yes and amen. No one cries out, our day has finally come. The Israelites can't even hear this liberating declaration of love and family and covenant and calling and future. They won't even listen to Moses as he tries to deliver the good news. Now, before we call them crazy, we might remember that it is easy in the distances of time and culture to have hindsight. It's easy to sit in judgment of the Israelites to Monday morning quarterback this thing and determine that they should have known better, that they should have had stronger faith and listened to God. We might even get higher up on our horse and determine that the Israelites didn't listen to God Because they were unholy or unworthy or sinful. But listen again to these words. 
Moses told the Israelites, but they would not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and their cruel slavery. According to these words, the Israelites' inability to hear had nothing to do with their worthiness, holiness, or sin. This says they couldn't receive God's message from Moses because their spirits were broken. Now, the Hebrew word used for spirit here is the word ruach. It's another fun one. Everybody say ruach. Anytime we read the English words wind or breath or spirit in the Torah, the Hebrew word that's being translated there is ruach. In Genesis 1, the ruach hovers over the formless abyss as the world is created. In Genesis 8, the ruach blows and causes the floodwaters to recede so that Noah and his family can leave the ark. In Exodus 14, the Ruach blows back the sea so that the escaping Israelites can cross over on dry land as they run from Pharaoh. The Ruach shows up all over the Hebrew Bible. Now, of primary importance to us humans, the Ruach shows up in Genesis 2, when God takes some dirt, Adam, and breathes the Ruach into it to form humankind. Ruach is the divine breath. It is the Ruach within us that makes us more than dirt. The Ruach inside of us reminds us all at once that we are all carriers of the divine, that we are all connected, and that God is as close to us as our very breath. That is the Ruach. Exodus 6 tells us the Israelites can't hear God's declaration of freedom and love because the Ruach within them, their divine breath, is broken. They're barely breathing. The Israelites were not meant to be slaves. They were not meant to prop up the global military superpower of Egypt so that it could conquer and hoard and preserve itself. When we are enslaved, when we are imprisoned to something that we were not meant for, we lose our breath. The ruach within us gets broken. No wonder they couldn't hear. They were fighting for every breath. Now herein lies what I believe this part of the Exodus story has to teach us about people. If we can't breathe, we can't listen. Now, I would never suggest that the life of wealth and privilege that I have lived is similar to the life of slavery described in the Exodus. But I still know this truth. I've experienced this. I'm a highly educated, highly resourced, able-bodied, white, heterosexual American male who has enjoyed unmerited favor and opportunity. I've never been physically enslaved. I've never really been beaten or made to work in cruel conditions. My loved ones have not been killed by a brutal regime. But nevertheless, I have had my spirit broken. I have lost my connection to the Ruach within me, and in doing so, lost my ability to hear and receive God. Now, it may seem, because I'm standing here this morning, an employee of the institutional church, a pastor within an organized religion, that I heard God on that drive home from Houston, but the truth is, I did not. 
I did not leave my job and I did not go to seminary. I didn't listen because I was barely breathing. I gasped and cried out to God and God responded with a liberating promise of love and family and covenant and calling and future. And just like the Israelites, I couldn't even hear it. Now, I may not have the consciousness at the time to see it, but I was enslaved. I was imprisoned by choices I had made and choices I was continuing to make. Choices for materialism and greed and power. Choices that were toward the pursuit of what I believed to be success or security or safety. I had even made life-altering choices based on nothing more than fulfilling the expectations or securing the approval of others. Now, however my cocktail of fear came together, the end result was that I lost my breath and the capacity to hear any divine declaration. If we can't breathe, we can't listen. But that's us. That's people. What about God? This passage from Exodus 6 is mostly God talking after all. What do these words from God have to tell us about God? Now, as we've already heard, the rabbis teach us that God's declaration here is descriptive of the character of God. It tells us what God is like. These words say that God is in the freedom business. These words say that God will take mighty action in order to bring an end to oppression. These words say that God loves with a deep, intimate family kind of love. These words say that God longs to create Love and prosper a new kind of tribe all over the earth. Can we hear that? Maybe we can. Maybe we can receive these words and recognize the character of God. But what if we're enslaved? What if we're barely breathing? What about those of us who can't even listen? I think there's still a message I think there's still a divine declaration here for the enslaved. I think there's a message here for the barely breathing. Something here still speaks, even to those who don't have ears to hear. The God in this story says, even if you can't hear me, I am that I am. Even if you are enslaved, I will be that I will be. This God says, I know you can't receive this message, but that will not stop me. Nothing will stop me from being who I am. Stiff necked stubbornness, spiritual blindness, crushed spirits, failing memories, withering faith, hopelessness, Pharaoh, the Egyptians, the Israelites, even Moses. Nothing in this story deters the God who was is and shall be friends this is the god that shouts anyway this is not just the god of the listeners or the god of those whose lungs are full this god shouts and brings freedom to the deaf and the barely breathing this god is on the move whether we can receive it or not over 20 years ago on a drive home from houston i was barely breathing I couldn't hear what God was saying. I didn't listen. The truth is, 
I'm still reconnecting with my breath. My exodus is not over. I still have some Egypt in me. I'm still wrestling with who God is and who God says I am. Sometimes I feel like I listen well. And sometimes I just can't hear. But regardless of whether or not I can hear, I am will still speak. Regardless of whether or not I can hope, this God will still move. And even if I can't imagine a reality beyond that which I need freedom from, the God of Israel sees my freedom for and will lead me there. Now we're going to move now into a time of response and prayer together. And I want to invite you to find a small white piece of paper that was given to you in a pencil when you came in. And if you need one, just raise a hand and Kevin can uh, bring you one. But you should have these little pieces of paper. One side of the paper has a space for us to list those things we recognize that we need freedom from. The other side is for those things that we hear as God giving us freedom for. As we pray, please take time to think about it and write about these different freedoms. In the back right here is a prayer wall that can receive your freedom prayer. If you'd like, you can roll up that piece of paper and place it in the wall when the worship team leads us through our song of response in a few minutes. Our prayer team will receive those prayers offered in that wall. They'll keep them private and they will pray over them. If you'd like to keep your piece of paper, that's fine too. Just respond however the Spirit leads you. Let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, sovereign of all creation, who shouts your declarations of freedom and love and covenant over us even when we cannot listen. We thank you for your breath within us. We bless you for the Ruach. We ask that you help us reconnect with our divine breath. Show us that you are as close to us as our very breath. We breathe deeply now and listen for you. Gracious and loving God, we acknowledge that there are things in our lives that enslave us. By your Ruach, may we name those things that we need freedom from, either silently in our hearts or written out on our paper.
Lord, we recognize that your story repeatedly declares that our freedom exists for a reason. That you don't just provide freedom from, but also call us into that which our freedom is for. Help us to hear and name the creation, cultivation, goodness, love, and service that you would have us use our freedom for. God of all freedom, we bless you and thank you in the name of Yeshua. Amen.